It's fantastic to be here at the undisclosed location uh, and also, hopefully, God willing, in your home. I mean, not literally in your home, but, you know, beamed into your home. And also, uh, by the wonders of modern technology, we're also joining with a whole bunch of our sites this morning. And so a big welcome to you if you're at our Aberdeen Central site or Aberdeen North or Mearns or Stonehaven. It's fantastic to have you with us today. We're continuing our series, just kind of journeying through the book of Acts today, uh, which we've called Christ, His Church, and His Cause. Uh, we've reached Acts chapter 3, and so if you've got a Bible with you, you might just want to produce it and have it to hand. And also, if you're the kind of person who makes notes, which, if I'm honest, is my favorite kind of person, then uh, the title of today's talk is The Marks of a Miracle. The Marks of a Miracle. So Acts chapter 3, we're going to read from verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. That's our scripture for today. The marks of a miracle. I wonder who you think of when you call to mind someone who might know what the marks of a miracle would be. For me, the the people who I think of the most, who I think they've, they've not only experienced the Lord doing all kinds of things that would just make your hair stand on end, but also there's a maturity and a wisdom uh, and just years and years of experience. They haven't thrown the scriptures out with the bathwater, but they have um, really wrestled with the scriptures and just worked the whole thing through. It's John and Ellie Mumford. John and Eleanor Mumford, uh, uh, have been right at the heart of the vineyard movement, the family of churches to which we belong for more than 30 years. In fact, they planted the very first vineyard church in the UK in southwest London in 1987. And um, uh, for, for years and years, they've been the national directors of our movement until about five years ago when they handed that role over to John and Debbie Wright so that they could uh, step into a new role as the international coordinators of all the vineyard uh, associations all over the world. And um, uh, I, one of the things that I think about when I think about them is, is a story that they told about 
I don't know, maybe 11 or 12 years ago when they visited our church. And they talked about their journey into the miraculous, their journey into just starting to discover what might happen when the kingdom breaks through. Uh, and John had been a, from, from a very conservative Christian background. He was an Anglican vicar uh, in a church in London. Uh, and um, at one time, Eleanor was really unwell. She had severe meningitis. Uh, and they, they were really, de really desperate. And so they, some friends just came around and they gathered around Ellie and they laid their hands on her and they prayed. And she was immediately and spontaneously healed. The Lord just did that in a moment. And so I, I don't know whether you can imagine, but if you had no expectation or, or understanding of that stuff and something like that happens, suddenly everything is up for grabs. And, and, and you're, you know, it's kind of like your whole world is just shaken at, at its very core. And so they went on this journey of just searching the scriptures and trying to understand all of this stuff. So anyway, the story that they told, and I'll get the precise details wrong, but it was something like uh, one day they were walking past the tennis court and there was a guy who just came limping off the tennis court and he was really obviously injured or something like that. And uh, so they looked at one another and then they looked at this guy and they were thinking to themselves, we should probably offer to pray for him. Mm. And then they looked at one another, and they looked at the guy, and they looked at one another, and they looked at the guy, and the moment went, and they missed their opportunity. And they began to feel deeply convicted. And by the time they got home, they were really, really churned up on the inside, and the Holy Spirit was just really challenging them about that whole moment. And then Eleanor just turned to John, and she asked this question. She said, John? Are we going to do this or aren't we? Are we going to do this or aren't we? For me, that's a really, really important question for us as a church family as we walk our way through the book of Acts. Are we going to do this or aren't we? Now, for some of you, you're fairly new to faith. Uh, and, and you're like, of course we're going to do this. You know, like, uh, of course, we, whatever it is that is in the Bible, we want to see Jesus do today. Uh, and uh, I know, for example, that there are people who have joined our church family during lockdown and you met Jesus because something miraculous happened in your life. You know, I know, for example, there was one lady, her feet were healed uh, from a condition that she'd had for decades and as a result of that, she committed her life to following Jesus. That happened in our church during lockdown. I know that there was somebody who met Jesus in a dream. I know that there are other people who during the Alpha course, the Holy Spirit just met with them powerfully in their house whilst they were doing the course on Zoom and they were shaking under the power of God and they surrendered their lives to Jesus. Now, if that was your way into the kingdom, if that was your way into faith, then of course you're going to be like, no, 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 I want the whole deal. But really it's a question for those of us who've been around the block for a little while, maybe you've been part of our church or a, a church that's similar to our church for some years. And therefore, maybe for us, it's like we're kind of carrying the wounds, you know, like the battle scars of hopes dashed, of disappointment, of moments where we've leapt in faith and crashed and burned, 
or apparently so. And for those of us, it's like, are we going to do this or aren't we? And as a pastor in this church, I would just want to urge us as a family, let's, let's do this. Let's risk again. Let's trust again. Let's step out again. Because we want to be people of the book. And to be honest with you, and we're going to see this again and again and again and again as we journey through the book of Acts, the plain meaning of the text is that the church is a community within which miracles happen. That's who we are. You know, if we were to just go back just a few verses from where we started in Acts chapter 3, go to the end of chapter 2, what you see is in Acts 2 verse 43, it says this, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs that were happening. And then uh, this particular moment is a moment of miraculous, isn't it? This guy has not walked his entire life, is completely healed. And that kind of, get the story, the journey of that goes on for a couple of chapters. And then immediately in Acts chapter 5, again, the, the, uh, Luke who wrote this is telling us that uh, the, the reputation of the church was such that people were dragging their sick uh, uh, relatives and friends out of their homes and just trying to get them into the shadow of the Christians because they thought that people might be healed as a result. That was their reputation. The church is a community within which miracles happen. And so I'm uh, more and more convinced, and, and, and so are all of our leaders, that there is more of God's presence and power than we currently know. There is more available to us th than we understand. And so let's dig in with this. Let's put ourselves out there. Are we going to do this or aren't we? Well, yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we are. So, so with all of that in mind, what are the marks of a miracle? What do we learn from this passage about the marks of a miracle? Well, the, uh, what I want to say, I've written this little sentence uh, and then we're going to take it chunk by chunk. I think a miracle is an authentic supernatural event ministered from a place of relational oneness with God our Father by using the authority and power that he's given to us for this very purpose. So let's just break that down. Point number one, an authentic supernatural event. Can we just agree together as a church that what we're pursuing, what we want, is the real deal? You know, what, what happens in this passage is not, you know, the guy has stubbed his toe and he's limping a bit. And then some, you know, Peter and John pray for him and then he's limping slightly less. You know, what's happening in this passage is not someone who's a bit vulnerable, um, getting carried away in the moment, perhaps with, uh, uh, you know, hype and hope and, and adrenaline. He's like, oh, I'm healed. And he throws away his crutches. And then later when the adrenaline subsides, he has to go and look for his crutches again. This is a man who has never walked. And in fact, what we learn in uh, chapter 4, verse 22, is that he's now more than 40 years old. And so this is a man uh, he's never walked a step in his life. And 
then heaven's power is made available to Peter and John in this moment to such a degree that he isn't only kind of like barely hobbling along or feeling slightly better. It says in verse 8, he's walking and jumping and praising God. And then he walks with them from that moment right through the gate and into the temple courts with them. And there's every likelihood that this man, because he has a disability, he, he, he wasn't allowed into the temple and so maybe this is the first time he's, he's been sat at that gate every day, but maybe this moment is the first time he's ever been able to go through it into the temple. And so this is, this is um, a, a total restoration of his legs and also of his dignity and a total transformation of his life. The, the other thing to note while we're on the subject of the authenticity of this moment is that uh, despite the fact that this guy's life is completely changed, there's absolutely no hype. You know, actually, if you look at it, this whole event is probably over in just a minute or two. And um, there are, there's no big build-up, and there's no shouting, and there's no smoke machines or lights, or, you know, no one's asked for money. Uh, it's just Peter and John there, as if, as if they kind of say this thing every day just after lunch, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you know, hey, just look at me for a moment. Walk. And then they just carry on with their day. It's an astonishing thing that happens, but it's so normal and uh, chilled out. Do you know, that is, that is the gold standard of a miracle right there. It's medically verifiable. It's totally, um, obviously God, and yet it's naturally supernatural. It's, there's no hype. It's just genuine and gentle and humble, and totally the Lord. That's the gold standard. That's what we're going for. So it's an authentic supernatural event. That's the first thing. The second thing is, it's ministered from a place of relational oneness with God. You know, it seems to me that, that uh, Peter and John in this moment, they're doing what they've seen Jesus do all the time for the previous three years. You know, they're, they're taking a leaf straight out of his book and they're just going, well, that's what he did, so that's what we'll do. For example, in John chapter 5, there's a moment where Jesus and the disciples, they go to a pool called a pool of, called, I can't speak, called the pool of Bethesda. It's a, a pool of water. And, and there's a kind of a myth or a legend about this pool that sometimes an angel would come into the pool and would stir the waters up. And whenever that happened, the first person into the water would be instantly healed. And, and so you can imagine, you know, this pool is surrounded by unwell people. There are people with various disabilities. There are people with leprosy. There are people who are unwell in all kinds of different ways. And uh, they're all waiting. But fascinatingly, John chapter 5, Jesus doesn't, uh, it doesn't say that Jesus healed everyone. What it says <coughs> is that he healed one man who had been, he, he'd had a disability for 38 years. And then the religious leaders are furious because he did it on the Sabbath. And so Jesus has to kind of explain himself. And it's so helpful the way that he explains what's really happened there. 
Because his explanation for everything that happened, John 5, 17, he says this, my father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. So what he's saying is this is, my, this is the way I understand the world. These are the, this is the lens through which I carry out my entire life and ministry is God's active everywhere. You know, he never stops. He's always at work. I love to think of that. I love to think of wherever you are in Mearns or Stonehaven or Aberdeen North or Aberdeen Central or somewhere else in the world right now. It's, it's inconceivable that God our Father isn't at work somewhere. That's his worldview. My Father is always at work even to this very day. And then he goes on, verse 19. Very truly I tell you, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. In other words, uh, he's watching to see, where is my Father at work? The Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. That's his explanation. It's almost as if, as he arrives at the pool of Bethesda, he's looking to see, what is my father doing? And how can I partner with him? How can I participate with him to see something shift for somebody? And in fact, then he goes on, for the father loves the son, there's the relational intimacy, and shows him all he does. And so it seems like that's the key to understand what's happened there in John chapter 5, that, that Jesus is operating from a, ten, uh, from a place of immense unity, intense unity with his father. And he's looking around. My father's at work somewhere. And he's watching, he's waiting, he's anticipating. And then he sees that the father is at work with this one guy. And so he, he's, oh, this is it, Lord. And so he begins to minister healing to that one guy. It seems like that's his explanation of what's happening there. And if, if, we, uh, if we assume that that's how this thing works and we take that back into our passage in Acts chapter 3, then I think that, that helps us to understand what's happened here too. Because notice how often this man has been sat there. He's been sat there, verse 2 tells us, every day. This man's been there every day. And actually, in the previous few verses at the end of chapter, uh, Acts chapter 2, it says that the uh, early church has been meeting in the temple courts, guess what? Every day. Uh, and that kind of blows my mind to think that this isn't the first time that these guys have clapped eyes on each other. In fact, they've passed him every day. I tell you what, this really blew my mind when I stopped to think about this. Jesus went to the temple when he was in Jerusalem every day. He was, a, you know, uh, a very obedient, faithful Jew. And so he goes to the temple every day to pray. And so he would have passed this guy every day that he was in Jerusalem. And yet there's something about this moment, this day. It's like this is this guy's moment. Uh, the kingdom of God is breaking through. God our Father is at work in this moment. Why didn't it, why didn't it happen on another day? We don't know. Why was it this guy who was healed and not somebody else? We don't know. And listen, if we, if we ever lose, lose the mystery of this stuff, if we start to boil it down to some kind of a formula, then we are dramatically mistaken there is a mystery about the kingdom that we'll always experience this side of eternity but this moment is his moment the only way that peter and john could have understood that is by walking in humble intimacy 
with God. Every day looking for the prompting and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And so where that leads me to is a place where two things happen. The first thing is I say, oh no, what miracles have I missed out on in my life? Because I wasn't watching, I wasn't waiting, I wasn't anticipating God's activity in the world. Or to put it in a slightly more positive way, tomorrow as we scatter to the four winds all over the, you know, all over the world uh, to do whatever we do on Monday mornings, if we, if we were to watch and to wait and to anticipate what God might do, who knows what he might do? So it's ministered from a place of relational oneness with God. And lastly, it's by using the authority and the power that he's given us for this very purpose. This is where, for me, as we really get into the text, things get a bit uncomfortable. Because Peter and John don't do what we do. Uh, Like, they don't do what we think Christians should do. Because Probably what we think that they should do. They see this guy is uh, uh, unable to walk. They feel like the Lord's calling them to do something with that. Uh, uh, and so we would expect them to kind of sit down, you know, next to him or kneel down, hold his hand. What's your name, mate? Larry. Larry. Okay. Dear Lord Jesus, we just pray for Larry right now. If it's your will. Would you bring healing to his legs? And then, and then if you're anything like me, I tend to get a bit medical in these moments. And so I start going, oh, Lord, the tendons and uh, the muscles. And would you restore that? And then I start quoting like, you know, the clavicle and the this. And, and then somebody will tell me later, clavicle is actually a shoulder blade or you know, collarbone or whatever it is. And so I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just mistaken. But, and then we start like quoting bits of scripture. You know, Lord, as you say in your word, the thigh bones connected to the hip bone. Oh, no, it maybe doesn't say that in the Bible. But any, you know, and, and uh, do you know the uncomfortable thing is that Peter and John don't seem to say a single word of prayer. Not a single word. Like I said, and what, what we saw there, they just say, hey, just, just look at me for a moment. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And then they just help him up. It's almost as if there's an authority that's been delegated to them for this moment. And actually, that's what we see over and over again. And we're going to see it over and over again. There are so few prayers for healing in the New Testament. Certainly, as we go through the book of Acts, for example, Acts 9, verse 34. Jesus Christ heals you. Get up. Acts 14, verse 10. Stand up. Acts 16, verse 18. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I command you to come out. All imperatives, all commands all seem to come from a place of authority. And in fact, that's exactly what it is. And what we see is we uh, look at the New Testament in in its broadest uh, scope. What what we see is that Jesus in Luke chapter 4 is doing all these amazing miracles. And and the people start to say about him, Luke 4, verse 36, they say, with authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. 
with authority and power, he gives orders. Uh, and that's the Jesus way. But fascinatingly then, in Luke chapter 9, when Jesus sends out the 12 disciples to, you know, do, uh, kind of preach the good news of the kingdom and, and um, to demonstrate the kingdom, uh, in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, it says, When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal those who were ill. So he gave them power and authority. And then again, the following chapter, Luke chapter 10, he doesn't just send out the 12, but there's a huge escalation in the number of people he's sending out. He sends out 72, which in a sense is like, and now it's like, this is for everyone now. And he says, I have given you authority to overcome all the power of the enemy. And we could go on and on. Matthew 28, you know, Jesus says, uh, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you to do. It's a sense of the authority being uh, uh, given to Jesus, him then giving that authority to the disciples and saying, you're now going to confer that onto all the people who become Christians as a result. Or, or Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This concept of power and authority being given to each one of us as followers of Jesus is all the way throughout the scriptures. So this, this concept of authority is huge for us. And, and John Wimber, who is one of the founding leaders of our movement, he described it like this. I find it so helpful, just coming into land now. He says, uh, you know, imagine a policeman wearing a uniform, a policewoman uh, wearing a uniform. Uh, they go and stand out in the middle of the street and they just say, stop in the name of the law. And huge trucks just come to a halt at their feet. And it's not as if they're, they're like superhuman strength and they're able to push against the truck and stop the truck. No, no, no. It's not their strength or their power, their authority. It's an authority that's been delegated to them by the law of the land. You know, if that same policeman were to forget to put their uniform on that day and instead they just went to work in their pjs you know and they said stop in the name of the law not so effective <laughs> more likely to get flattened under the under the truck but they're clothed with the authority that comes from the rulers of the land and in the same way those of us who follow jesus we are clothed with christ and therefore we are co-heirs with him and we are delegated, we are conferred on us a kingdom. We receive his authority and power. Can we just agree something together again? Can we agree that the Bible is going to be our training manual? Not our experience or our upbringing or what we think should happen. Let's just let's use the book as our authority and understand how it works. Um, now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is whatever we want, we can just, you know, command to happen. We're not saying let's just name it and claim it. We're not saying it's some kind of like Noel Edmonds, you know, 
cosmic ordering where you just have to say something out loud and the universe will provide it for you. It's nothing, none, nothing like that. It's not some kind of over-realized eschatology. What we're saying is we partner with God, we watch, we wait, we anticipate what the Father is doing in our midst and then as we perceive that, as we're led by the Spirit in relational oneness with Him, we then, when the moment arises and He causes us to use it, we use the authority that He's given us for this purpose. And so if you take out the relational oneness, if you take out the intimacy with God, if you take out the God, my Father in heaven, what is it that you're doing in our midst? You lose the whole thing. I can't wait to see as we journey through the book of Acts, what God is going to do in our midst. But I'm really excited about it. Let's pray, shall we? And Lord, we, we want to be people of the book. And what we ask, we, we just recognize that we, we have L plates on in this area, but we want to grow, we want to learn, we want to understand, we want to experience what it means to be a community in which miracles happen. Please God, would you lead us by the hand in a sense? Would you, would you guide us by your spirit? Would you open up the scriptures to us? We want to know more, and we want to see more. Amen.